I was super obsessed with getting out of debt. Like that was like my main goal. And I was starving myself, not eating, not purchasing things. And I ended up losing between like 20 and 25 pounds and became malnourished during that time. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 213 with Nicholas Natali. Living tiny is a great way to save money and pay off debt. And my guest today did that in a radical way. $60,000 in student loan debt in just 11 months. You'll have to listen to the episode to find out exactly how he did it and why he does not recommend doing it the way that he did it. I hope you stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny House Decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing, tiny house decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. I am here with Nicholas Natali. Nicholas paid off $60,000 in student loan debt in 11 months by living in his 1986 Chevy Suburban and skyrocketed his net worth to over 200K by the age of 24. He now teaches others how to build wealth with easy to implement investing strategies and without having to live as extreme as he did. Nicholas, welcome to the show. Ethan, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, um, Let's just start. I want I want the long version of that bio. I want the long version of of your, you know, how did you even get started on this? I would I would call it radical debt elimination plan. It it definitely was radical. Uh it started my senior year of college. I went into college actually with the idea that I was going to have some debt and I wanted mm-hmm. to get my debt down low. So I was like, I'm going to graduate early and that should be enough. And then senior year rolled around and I finally looked at the numbers and it said 60K. And I was like, this was not what I was expecting. Maybe I should have been, you know, keeping tabs on this. Yeah. And as as I stood on it more, I was just like, 50,000 is a lot of money. Like, I, I don't want this to follow me for the rest of my life. And so I started to think about different ideas that I could, you know, maybe implement. And one of them that kept coming up was, why not live in a vehicle? And at first, I feel like it started out as a joke. Like my family's like, wouldn't that be funny if you just like lived in a car? And then I was like, yeah, maybe that would be kind of funny. And then I was like telling professors and they are like, were suddenly getting very concerned for me. They're like, please do not do this. This is <laughs> this is something you don't want to do. And then that made me want to do it even more. Because so I was like, oh, I'm going to show them I can do it. <laughs> why, why do you think that they didn't want you to do it? I think maybe just safety reasons. Okay. Or... I, I I think, yeah, maybe they were just concerned about like me moving into my car and then 
never moving out of it. I'm not sure. Maybe they thought it was going to be like so drastic. I would never talk to anybody again. I was like, can yeah. I go off the grid for good? Could be any of those reasons. But what I think the real catalyst that turned it into like a real thing was I didn't have a car to live in. Like I had a Honda Accord, but it wasn't really like made for camping out. But my my sibling's dad kind of heard about some of the, the scuttlebug scuttlebug and was like, hey, if you're for real about this, if you're legit going to move into a car, I'll give you my 1986 Chevy Suburban. It did, I don't even think it ran. But he's like, I'll give it to you and you can live in that if you're for real about it. And so I was like, oh, man, well, this sounds too good to pass up. So I took him up on it. Okay, so 1986 Chevy Suburban. That's like, I'm, I'm I I've looked at some pictures of it on your Instagram. It's like a big white beast. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's it's long, but it's not tall. That not was tall. that was the unfortunate part. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it it looks. You know, you th- you might think of a Chevy Suburban now that has a lot of headroom, but this almost looks more like a pickup truck just that has a permanent cap on the back. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. And it has this little, so like the, the driver's row, cause they had rows in the passenger row. That was like probably like six or eight inches lower. And then where I ended up putting the bed in the back rows, it was like up another like eight inches. So it shortened it even, even further. So I was always having to crunch over be real Notre Dame like. So not a great vehicle to start for a, a van or a, a, a house conversion, but it was free. It was free and you can't pass up on free. And well, we, my brother and I, can, but <laughs> sounds like <laughs> <you can. laughs> yeah. that's right. I, I, I couldn't at that point, I, right, I saw right. my numbers in the negative and I was like, Hey, this is in the positive. My brother and I started the conversion though, soon thereafter. Mm-hmm. And, it was makeshift, you know, yeah. it's, it's not what you see people rocking the sprinter vans. It's very plywood and a couple nails. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, talk about, you know, what, what did you do to convert it? And, and I think in the pictures there's like, I can see maybe water tanks on the roof. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's right. So how the conversion kind of looked like is one, we made a bunch of mistakes. Those are always fun to talk about. We had this idea originally that the driver's seat wasn't going to be a driver's seat. It was going to be a swivel chair. We wanted Uh, to have this chair that I could turn around in and kind of like interact with all the people that I was going to have over. And so we like, I don't know if weld is the right word. We saw it. I believe we saw this giant hole where it was going to go and then it didn't fit. So then there was just this permanent hole underneath the driver's seat forever like it's still there that was a big (laughs) that was a big mistake and every time i drove it it would just shoot hot asphalt air right under me made it so hot and terrible that's Uh, the that's the measure twice cut once rule (laughs) in effect yeah Yeah. we didn't measure at all that was really bad and then another really poor idea on our part was we wanted to make more room which makes sense but we took out the air conditioner and that also just played into like how brutal the whole experience was. Mm-hmm. But some things that we got right were we did put a power inverter in. We did have a, a second bed that was a couch that turned into a bed. So somebody could okay. come over. 
and then had a little twin bed, the pantries the and the water guest room. Yeah. Privacy. Somebody ended up living with me for eight months in it. So it worked out nice for a little bit, but the water tank on top, our vision for the water tanks, Ethan was, we also drilled holes. I guess that was our thing, just drilling holes into places, but we drilled a hole in the top and ciphered the water down to a sink and just let gravity do its thing. So all I would have to do is refill the, the tank. The up tanks top. on the roof. Nice. You did like a gravity yeah. feed water. Yeah, it was great. And then it shot straight into the ground. Outside, yeah. So. A lot of people do that. It's good. I yeah. like it. Our, yeah. yeah, it was bad. I mean, it's messy, so, but I like it. I mean, it's, it's a pretty stealth looking vehicle like cuz you you look at it and you wouldn't think that there's necessarily someone living in it except for the water tanks. I wonder did they did they give you away ever? They did. So my first job out of college was working for the Department of Defense and mm-hmm. the very first day they sicked the bomb sniffing dogs on it because they were like you have wires on top of your vehicle and they did a full search. Oh, that was uh yeah. They're like, is this your vehicle? And I was like, I don't know. Dogs are sniffing it right now. Maybe it's not today, you know? <laughs> yeah, this this uh the your sibling's father, uh, you wanna think about you're like, uh oh. Was am I just a uh, tool? Am I like smuggling drugs in this van for him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all the drawers underneath are packed with big things of coke. No, uh we 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 figured it out. Okay. I definitely should say this that I think it was stealth to the greater public, but since I had a nine to five job, yeah. it soon became a problem in my my day to day work life because that was the very anti what you should do if you get a security clearance government job. They're uh, very unhappy. Yeah. They don't, why why are they unhappy about that? They launched a government investigation on me because <laughs> because they thought I was their words, a bum that was stealing money from the government. That was oh their words. And so they went through everything I had ever done for that organization, like every email I ever sent, every text I ever sent, every message I ever sent, every you know, card, what was that called? Oh my gosh. The time card you yeah, put yeah. in. Every piece of work I'd ever done. And they just pretty much tried to find dirt on me to, you know, give Give me that felon charge. I don't know if that was a real goal, but I think they were really concerned wow. that I was taking money from them. It was a horrendous experience, but that wild. sounds awful. And you think it's all because of the van or the the, the suburban? <laughs> I that's what they said. They're like, you know, you drive this crazy truck, and we don't really know where you live. I was like, I don't know why you have to know where I live. Uh huh. You know, I'm coming to work and I'm doing my job. Yeah. And they made me like give them a house address and all oh these things. Yeah. Uncomfortable. That's rough. I'm sorry to hear that you went through that, but, but you stuck, you stuck with it. I stuck with it. I, how I circumvented the whole situation was my ex-girlfriend at the time, her friend gave me a call and this is mid mid investigation, like maybe day one gives uh-huh. me a call and is like, Hey, your ex-girlfriend is going to go study abroad and you need to take care of her car. And it was a Toyota Corolla. And Uh I was like, I live in a car. There's no way on earth that I'm taking care of someone's car, especially since we're not even together anymore, you know? Right. 
Right. And she was like, that doesn't matter to me. I'm going to come drop it off with you. And so she drops off this Toyota Corolla right in front of my burb. And I have to like drive my burb to Walmart and then run eight miles back to get this car and then drive this thing to Walmart. And I played that game for like maybe two weeks. But what ended up happening was I started taking the Corolla to work during the investigation. And kid you not, like three days later, one of the people heading it up came up to me and was like, I don't know why people think you live in a car. How could you do that if you have two cars? And suddenly all of these rumors <laughs> disappeared. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. Wow. That's, that's impressive. So you, you just commuted in a different car and that solved the problem. That solved the problem. I ended up moving into the Toyota Corolla for two months with nothing but a towel. Cause I think I, at that time I really wanted to like not have any, give them no reasons for suspicion, but it made life even more ridiculous and yeah. Tough. So how did, where did you sleep? How did that work? Work, Man, I would put the back seats, I'd fold them down and then I'd stick my legs diagonally into the trunk. And then I'd use the towel as a pillow. Wow. And it it was awful. And then I should probably mention part of this story wraps around like my crazy obsession Mm -hmm. at the time. I was super obsessed with getting out of debt. Like that was like my main goal. And I was starving myself, not eating, not purchasing things. And I ended up losing between like 20 and 25 pounds Mm -hmm. and became malnourished during that time that I was doing all these things. So I was living in this Toyota Corolla, like eyes almost becoming sunken, Mm. so exhausted, undergoing a government investigation and still feeling like I had to work, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week of overtime, just burning myself into the ground. Wow. But I had so much fun doing it at the same time. Like it's it's not an experience I look back on and be like, oh man, I regret it. I was like, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. It sounds like type two fun. Yep. Yeah. More the fun that like you look back and you're like, oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah. And in it, you're like, I can't believe this is real. Yeah. So, I mean, all joke, all kidding aside, I mean, this is how, how did you approach the paying off of the debt? Because the, the top line number is 60,000, but was that made up of like different loans? Like, what did you, where did you start? Mm. I used the snowball method. Okay. So essentially just chopped down the little guy first. I was really big on like, I needed that motivational push. You know, I needed the momentum mm-hmm. to knock one down and keep going. Yep. That was probably the biggest strategy as far as like allocating the debt. But also every time that I got paid, I would do these two things. I'd tithe and then I'd put all of the money into the debt. And then I'd be like, okay, I have 20 bucks to <laughs> eat food for the month or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Just do everything backwards to ensure. Because I knew if I like gave myself whatever my paycheck was, I'd find a way to like spend it on everyday living. Yeah. But I just didn't want to. You know, I wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. So you you did it in 11 months, 60K. And... And I, I think I read somewhere that, you know, your salary at that point was not that far above 60K. Correct. My salary starting out was 
62 or 63, somewhere around there. And that's gross. So net, yeah. I was, you know, pulling well under that. Yeah. And that kind of pushed me to do these like 60 to 80 hour work weeks. And I think I'm like kind of fortunate in that way that my occupation at the time did hourly overtime. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I was young and scrappy enough to like want to do it. Mm-hmm. But it was also just countercultural to that work environment. Like it was standard to do your 40 hours a week every week. Mm-hmm. And I came in and I was like, I'm going to do 20 to 40 hours more than that. And yeah. never see the money. Just and just get rid of the debt. So, um, you know, after the debt was paid off, how much longer did you continue living in the burb? And I love I love the name, the burb. The burb. I continued living in it for probably another year and a half to two years. So wow. <laughs> you're still, I, you really I liked I, it. <laughs> I think I liked it. And I also think that I became accustomed to it. Like yeah. it, it really became my lifestyle. And at the, like the six month mark, when I first started, like I mentioned, my, one of my best friends, he joined me in living in the burb as well, because I got him a job at the same place. He had a similar amount of debt. I think he had like 30,000 and we both like found this like rhythm to push each other to spend less and less and pay off our debt quicker and quicker. And he ended up paying off his debt. And then I think we had maybe like four months after we both became debt free where we just continued to live inside the burb and stack dough as, you know, try to get back on our feet. And somebody heard about our story, like living together and trying to do this thing together in China. And then they asked us to come to China to talk to them about living in a de- like a, a burb. And we just scared all these Chinese high schoolers to not go to college. It was, I feel like we maybe did a little bit of disservice because they're like, where did you wash your underwear? <laughs> and we're like, we had to do this because we went to a private college. And they're like, maybe college isn't for us. I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry. That's not what I mean. So that's, that's that, amazing. So I'm guessing you, uh, you just threw out your underwear and bought new underwear when it got dirty. I'm kidding. I just flipped it inside out. I never yes. even washed it. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause you don't want to spend that like dollar on the laundromat that could go toward the debt, the debt payment. Dip it in the pond. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you you continued to stack dough and and at some point you you kind of transitioned from being a software engineer to being or a software developer to to teaching others how to do what you did. Yeah, I think a lot of this could have been prevented had I known more about personal finances and I really learned this the hard way. Like I made a crazy huge decision to take on so much debt at, you know, 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And then I really didn't have any of the skill set to properly manage that debt, nor did I have any idea of how to manage money or even bring in income, like all these things that are kind of like crucial to being able to do it. So now I'm, you know, fixated on trying to help other people not have to, even if they're in the predicament of debt, like understand how to get the most out of life, have fun, be able to not feel guilty about spending things that you enjoy, but making sure that it's allocated and making sure that you're taking care of the other priorities of getting out of debt 
and also putting yourself in a position where 20, 30, 40 years from now, you'll be fine. Like your investments will take care of you. You know, you won't be sad and having, you know, strangers or your children come give you baths if you don't want that. (laughs) That sounds, that sounds great. (laughs) I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Decisions my signature guide, and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is, you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is, a, is a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Um, deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans, different types of trailers and more. Uh, then in the in part two, we get into the system. So heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation. And we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, we talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, It's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. You know, you you talked about, um, I don't remember where I read it, just um, somewhere on your website talking about how the experience of living in the van versus what you were seeing on Instagram, you know, in the mm. like hashtag van life influencer type space were just like wildly different experiences. Yes. A hundred percent. They absolutely are. And, and do you think that that's, do you think that that's common? Do you think that most people who choose to, to live really live full time in a van or a vehicle, like that their experiences probably aren't being represented? I do. I don't want to speak for everybody out there, but I do think it's absolutely glorified. Like van life, when I was in it, I was so frustrated because I was like, I am tired. I'm exhausted. I'm sick of looking for safe places to park. And maybe it's because I was attached to this like specific location of my job. But at the same time, I think anybody living in a van experiences difficulty, even if it's just searching for a bathroom. Like I can't tell you how many times I would run into a Starbucks just to have them, you know, open their their bathroom or even where do you store your food because there's probably a lot of van dwellers like myself that had a little cooler and ice only lasts for so long so your food goes bad yeah all these other things that were never talked about you to see these very scenic photos and videos of them out overlooking nice cliffs but Mm -hmm. really i do think there's you know there's there's just as much i don't know if hardship is the right word but there's just as much struggle in the in the van life than is actually portrayed. How do you, how do you like to track your expenses? Do you use a particular software or spreadsheet or how do you do it and how do you teach others to do it? 
Ooh, man. Depends on where they're at. I think Mm -hmm. a great place to start is bringing a, and this is somewhat, uh, somewhat extreme, but take a little notepad, take a Mm -hmm. little pen. Anytime that you make a transaction, write it down. I think that's the first step, at least in my eyes, because suddenly you're aware of how much you're spending and how often you're spending because there's this other action that you're going through saying, okay, I just spent five bucks at Starbucks, blah, blah, blah. And your brain recognizes these things and it forms a habit. It's almost similar to how we've seen in studies where people who want to lose weight, instead Mm -hmm. of like telling people to go on a specific diet, they just tell them, start writing down everything that you're eating because Mm -hmm. suddenly you have a mirror that you're looking at saying, yeah. oh, this is actually what I'm doing. You know, I can't hide this, these purchases online, these Amazon purchases that are hitting my bank account. But if I never look at my bank account, I'm in the clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the best place to start. My personal preference is not one that I would recommend for everybody either. I enjoy doing pretty similar thing every time I make a transaction. I'll go into a Google Sheet and I'll write it down. Mm-hmm. I think the probably the healthiest of all of these is using a financial app. There's one that I like called Mint. It's very popular. Mm-hmm. But every time you make a transaction, you can categorize it. And then you can see it on your phone and it tracks your budget for you, yep. essentially. Yep. yep. I've used Mint for a long time. And then I, I, I really love YNAB. You need a budget. Um, that's kind Ooh, of my personal, nice. it's my personal favorite. But, but yeah, I think just being aware of what you're spending is, is the first step. Um, and, then, and then like you know, in terms of helping other people eliminate their debt, do you have like a target that you recommend of like, okay, what percentage of your income are you putting towards your debt? Or is it just different in every, you know, different cases are are different? I think different cases are different, but I Mm. think it's always recommended, at least in my mind, to put as much as you can toward it without, Mm. without causing yourself you know, long-term damage to your mental and emotional life. Mm -hmm. I do think, however, there's areas in our lives that we think are non-negotiable things to spend on that simply are not true. And I also think most of these conversations are less about numbers and math, which, you know, when we write things down on paper and we see, okay, you can get out of debt in 11, 12 months, 15 Mm -hmm. months, whatever it may be. It's more about the emotional side. Most of the time, it's about how people feel about money and their relationship with money. For most people that, or I shouldn't say most, for many people, money is a huge stressor. Money mm-hmm. brings up feelings mm-hmm. of guilt when they spend. Money is you know, a sense of power, control over you know, maybe even their significant other. And I think it kind of takes these two steps of one, for debt, making a decision to do things, like to pay it off, because a decision breeds action. And then two is kind of recognizing what's your actual relationship with the money you have. You know, how do you treat it? How do you feel about it? Are you stoked yeah. on it? Are you excited? Or you're like, oh, I got to hold on to this or else somebody's going to come get it or I'm going to have to spend it. So I think that's the place to start too. Nice. Yeah. Many, many of my listeners have debt and, you know, they are also faced, you know, they want to live tiny and are faced with the, unfortunate reality that it's really hard to get a loan for a tiny house. So they're faced faced with both debt and then the need to actually save quite a bit of money aside Mm. so that they can pay for this tiny house. What, you know, what would you recommend in that hypothetical? Like, do you 
do you tackle the debt first and then save for the tiny house? Or do you just say like, okay, I'm just going to service the debt. I'll just make the minimum payments on the debt. Granted, it's not a credit card, but like take care of the debt mm-hmm. just and then save for the tiny house and then really pay it down after I'm living tiny. It's, it's a catch 22 in my mind, but maybe you have a, a an idea. It is a catch 22. I think my, my gut is saying that you should always try to pay down the debt first before you pretty much accrue more debt. Because yeah. it sounds like the mortgage isn't necess- like a necessity, right? If you have the power to pay right. down the debt that you currently have, you can do that. And obviously, you'll have to make some sacrifices along the way. But mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. bet for most people, they'll feel way more comfortable or at least be in a better financial situation yeah. if they pay down their debt, then saved, then got the tiny house, then stack some fat cash and start start investing. Yeah. So that's that's like... The investing piece is like the next piece of this puzzle for you because you know that's what allows that's what allows the little guy to kind of tap into something bigger and actually build wealth. Yeah, 100%. And I think the word investing can kind of be intimidating uh, yeah. to a lot of people, but my I have a very simple easy approach to investing. Mm-hmm. I invest in index funds. They're low expense ratio index funds that pretty mm-hmm. much track the performance of the market. And yep. they pretty much match a, a 10 to 11 or 12% ROI over the years. And it's nice. easy. It's, it's it's pretty passive. And I think my encouragement to anybody listening is, you know, post debt life, it can really only take you 20 to 25 minutes setting up an account in Vanguard Yep. Finding a index fund that follows the S and P 500, setting up automatic investments for mm-hmm. you know 500 bones a month, so you max out your Roth every year, and yep. that over 20 years, 40 years, almost pretty much. I won't say almost. I mean, it pretty much does. We've seen it time and time again. Guarantees that we are millionaire by the time you're, you know, ready to retire. That's awesome. And now, is that? Um similar a similar concept to the the fire movement the financial independence early retirement i mean if you get if you you get to that point where you can retire on the investments i suppose it is yeah 100% yeah i think i think it's similar in the sense of like when somebody's in debt they put as much of their things much of their percentage of their income into their mm-hmm. debt i think fire in my mind is taking a very similar approach to get to a certain number in your mind and investing or putting that percentage down until that number happens. I think for yeah. me, in my mind, my number is 2 million bucks. I think that's mm. that's my fire number because if you take 4% and the 4% rule is, you know, has some, <laughs> people have a lot of different opinions on it, but essentially you could take 4% of your investments each year and still be able to have your investments grow over time and you'll never run out of money essentially. And that would give you like 80,000 bucks, 60, around $80,000 every year. So So when you say $2 million, you mean $2 million like in, in principle, like, yeah, invested in index funds that are going to continuously grow. And I can just snag a little tiny bit from it every now and then when I need it. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I mean, Sounds like you're you're on your way to to doing it. Do you have a like? Do you have a target age that you're you're going for? You know, that's that's a great question. My target age for those finance goals is thirty, mm-hmm. but as of recently, 
I feel like I'm as much as that is still a goal for me. And I, I mm-hmm. will be pursuing that wholeheartedly. I think my mindset mindset is shifted a little bit in the sense of now my goal is more so about there's, there's, let me say this, there's a guy that I know and he calls it impact billionaires. Mm-hmm. More of my mindset is switched to serving as many people as possible. And his, his coin of impact billionaires mm-hmm. is like people who are investing to serve in other people. Yeah. And those people are able to serve more people. And it's just this continuous flood of things that, you know, make the world a much more sustainable and better place overall. But mm-hmm. 30 is my number. But I also want to have it paired with the idea that there's so much more than just accruing wealth for accruing wealth's sake. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I think. And that also probably makes it easier to accrue wealth when you feel like you have a, a purpose behind it. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest problem with, maybe I shouldn't say problem. That's the biggest uh, emphasis in paying off debt or investing or anything that we do. Any goal starts with a why, right? If your why yeah. isn't strong enough, you're not going to be motivated to do it. When your why isn't strong enough, the mm-hmm. days where it feels hard, you're not going to do it. So if there is no purpose, like you're saying, if there is no something that gives you that fire in your stomach, fire in your belly to do something, yeah, then it's not going to go on. So for debt or for any financial reason or living in a tiny home, that why has to be incredibly strong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe one of the purposes for you is, is your podcast, the, the Nicholas Natale podcast. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. We have a tagline of uh, entertaining or sorry, interviewing entertainers, experts and entrepreneurs to live a more fulfilling life and level up Uh your business. And it's essentially just asking people who have either gone through something really challenging, how they got through it, Mm -hmm. or talking to people who have successful businesses and saying, hey, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you did right? And what are the things that you did wrong? And how can we implement that in our own lives to, you know, push ourselves forward? That's really cool because it's it's like I feel like if you were trying to just make a podcast about getting out of debt or about investing, you'd probably run out of steam sooner than later. But you've been going now for what three years? Two years? Three years? Yeah, I think I think I started in either yeah late twenty eighteen ish. So we're come, yeah. we're right around there. Yeah. Episode one. Do you have uh, maybe there are a couple recent episodes that. Um, you know, ones that stand out for you that you'd you'd like to tell our listeners about? Sure. I think uh, a standout one that first comes to my mind is we just had somebody on named Austin Beals. And he has, it's this story of this, he had this head fungus, this like dandruff, but like extreme dandruff. It's called like serraric something or other. And what he did was he created the serum in his kitchen and uh-huh. then found a bunch of other people that struggle with this crazy head fungus. And then he supplied the serum to him. And now he has a, a profitable business. And I think it's just such a good example of two things. One, using your own story and the things that you go through to help other people that are on the same road. Yeah. And two, as far as business perspective goes, one, understanding who the audience you serve is like yeah. at their core level. Like understanding like what it feels like to have head fungus or even like what it feels like to build your tiny house out perfectly, like Mm -hmm. really understand them and then focus on them completely to serve them well. Yeah. Very cool. 
Very cool. That's that sounds like an awesome story. I'm I'm looking forward to to giving that one a listen. Please let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I I will do that. Um so you have an online course uh which and just like the names of these things are awesome. Get out of debt like a maniac or goodlum. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Nice. And so that like what you know, if I signed up for that course, what like what am I in for? What is that going to help me do? What is that going to teach me? Ooh, that's going to teach you everything from one, getting out of debt like a maniac, of course, but two, mm-hmm. managing your money in a way that's going to prepare you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. and three, hopefully relieving most of that stress that we feel around it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing to pay off your debt, but it's another thing to feel stressed the entire time you do it. Yeah, I think the course is has a big emphasis on you're not going to sacrifice the joy you have in this life in order to pay off your debt. Yeah. We have I have found a way to pay off my debt really quickly and I talk exactly how to do it without what I'm talking about being now malnourished or any of those things. But also the fact that you can enjoy so much more of life when you kind of flip things on their head and say, you know, I can prioritize my finances and also prioritize my relationships. You know, because now suddenly I'm not relying on having to spend an expensive meal just to see my friends. It's yeah. like, hey, there's so many other substitutes. Like we can go on a hike and now I can enjoy enjoy the outdoors or, you know, we can do any of these other not high expense activities and still yeah. get yeah. things right. Also, there's things about credit in there. Get your credit right. Things about how to pay off your debt best. There's resources for you to use, like all of the budgeting spreadsheets things like that. So anything you would need to get your debt paid off, it has it in there. Yeah. So like if you want to do what Nicholas did, you want his help doing it. Sounds like that's the place, that's the place to go. Exactly. That's perfect. Ethan, I like that. Shoot. All right. Use that. I, I'm um, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm pulling Oprah. Everybody look under their seats. There's a course <laughs> ready for you. Ooh. Ooh. Um, so one thing that I like to ask all my uh, guests is what are two or three resources that either inspired you or helped you on your kind of personal journey that you would like to share with our listeners? Mm. Resources could be books, YouTube channels, movies, people open-ended. Yeah. I love that. I got the first one for you and then I'll find the second one along the way. The first one is a, a book we all know and love for our work week, Tim Ferriss, a classic. Boom. Yeah. This one inspired me for a few reasons. I think and this isn't like the direct emphasis of the book, but I think we all internally have <clears throat> have some limited beliefs about what we think can be accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I think what this book does is kind of say, you know, if you are willing to think differently and if you're willing to kind of identify what those limiting beliefs are that you have, you can suddenly open up this entire world of new opportunity. You can take back mm. your time while being able to still do the things that you, uh, mm-hmm. you can take back your time while still earning enough income to sustain yourself and do the things that you love to do. So that's the first, first one. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. second inspiration, man. There doesn't have to be two. It can just be. There has to be two, Ethan. There has to be <laughs> two. I'm going to say the second inspiration for me is probably, uh, my brother, Daniel, you know, not everybody has my brother Daniel as an inspiration, but I'm going to tell you about him. 
He's okay. the one that helped me build out this camper. Uh, He's the one converter. that cut the giant hole in the floor. Yeah, that's why I'm inspired by him. He can just <laughs> saw into anything. But really, he was an example of kind of like the, the integrity that I think I probably needed to see at a very specific time in my life. Mm-hmm. And through that, I've been able to uh, learn and know for myself that integrity is such a, a valuable part of our lives. And crucial to doing anything well, you know, because when it comes down to earning a quick buck for something or doing it the right way, not cutting corners, it's always going to be the right way, not cutting corners. And that's been invaluable. Awesome. Oh, that's a, that's a very touching place to, to leave it. Uh, Nicholas Natali, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you for having me. Ethan, you are a tremendous host. I think everybody should listen and give you five stars on all the all the reviewing platforms spotify apple give them the best reviews ethan you're great i agree i agree all right (laughs) thank you so much to my guest nicholas natali for being a guest on the show today you can find the show notes including a complete transcript links to nicholas's website and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 213 again that's thetinyhouse.net slash 213 Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.